welcome to another episode of Otaku in Training. I am your host, LB. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, CT. Hello. And only one trainee this month. We have Bama joining us again. Hi, everybody. So, for this month, we wanted to go with a series that was vaguely more actiony. I know I described this series as actiony last month when we were closing things out, but let's be honest, this series is more Looney Tunes than anything else. <laughs> um but still it was a, it's a good show. We wanted to expose our trainee to it and that would be Angel Beats. Uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty and before we turn things over to our trainee, uh, CT, I wanted to talk to you first about this series. Uh, I personally did not come into this series until a few years after it had first aired. I actually had a really big problem in 2010 with the main character looking way too much like Haruhi Suzumiya. Yeah, and that's that, a good thing. It bothered me to no end <laughs> at the time. It just, oh, it killed me, and I hated it for it. So, yeah, so that was the reason why I didn't get into this series right away. Did you watch this series when close to when it aired, or did you wait a little while? I did not. I know it was always a big thing, but it was something that I wasn't... Like, that wasn't the time period that was watching anything broadcast uh, that would start in much more seriously in kind of 2012. So this predated catching things as they aired, and it would just be if someone else picked it up, if there happened to be a good, uh, you know, bit torrent of it, something like that. So it was an eventually catch up on down the line because it's PA works. It always comes up uh, when you start, when people start talking about, like, feelsy things, this will usually get a nod. Yeah, and we've well established on previous podcasts your undying deep love for PA work, so. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so, and I'm actually kind of curious, you mentioned earlier that it was a good thing, so you had no problems at all with the main character looking something like uh, Haruhi, or <laughs> this, so this didn't bother you at all? No, I found it amusing that there were certain uh, design elements in there, but... Uh... And personality-wise, it, it was very much... It, it did feel a bit like a uh, Haruhi spinoff. But, uh, you know, we haven't gotten season three or anything uh, more of uh, the original here. So I'm, I'm happy uh, getting it in any form. Yuri is super appealing, just in general. And... Everything else breaks away from it, so it really doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, you have the whole gang of idiots there, of which she is very much a prominent member of their idiocy. So, uh, <laughs> fr frankly, it doesn't feel much like it, excepting that it's a, you know, weird stuff happens in school thing. But the uh, 
the the Looney Tunes comment by way of the action also represents the comedy. It was extremely farcical. So uh, <laughs> you you get into all of the other beats for it and the wild transitions and everything else. I can I can appreciate rather than feel off put by the Haruhiisms contained within her, uh, but she definitely has you know, more going on than just that front. Alright, so getting into the first episode, uh, it's established very, very quickly within the first few seconds even that we are in the afterlife and the premise is that these group of people have gathered in the afterlife to protest their unjust, unfair lives on Earth and are refusing to let themselves become reincarnated. Uh, Bama, I want to turn things over to you, because I know that you are a little squeamish about blood and violence, So, but within the first few minutes of this episode starting, we have our main character splattered in a pool of blood multiple times, and I'm kind of curious, was that okay with you, or did that turn you off initially? I, I to be honest, I, uh, I remember thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. LB said he wasn't going to put me through anything terribly traumatic here. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and trust him, and we'll get past this. And I did. But, um, yeah, if, if this hadn't come recommended by you, <laughs> I wouldn't have watched it beyond the first 15 minutes or so. I would have uh, dismissed it as um, a, uh, a shooting show. Kind, kind of like the, the kid in Princess Bride calls it a kissing book. Got it. And I, I'm glad I didn't, because I actually really enjoyed it. So, you know. So, with this first episode, we meet all the characters, which, by the way, I really enjoyed Euripi's little descriptions of every character that lasted two or three seconds as she was introducing them. I thought that that was a fun way to meet all the characters, even though I found it terribly difficult to remember all of their names throughout the rest of the series. Uh, so, that was a big thing for me, but that was a but that was fun. Uh, let me see. Did you need Sheena's name other than How Foolish Girl? Uh, really? No. Not really. <laughs> now that you mention it. But the main thing that I took away from episode one, and this is something that I had already known, uh, because I you know, have watched this series before, but it was so great to get a reminder of how amazing the band Girls Dead Monster is in this mm -hmm. series. Easily one of the best anime bands ever. I really enjoyed the music in the first up in the first couple of episodes. Um and I really to the point where I actually do still have some of their singles on my iPod. Yes, CT, I still have my iPod. Mm -hmm. um, 
I still have some of their singles playing regularly on my iPod as I'm driving around. I still really enjoy the music, and I'm kind of curious. Everybody else, Uh, CT, let's start with you. Uh, Opinions on the music for this first episode, first couple of episodes, I should say. Uh, I mean, there's there's nothing like uh, a little alchemy to... uh go along with it uh yui was a real fan i think that was her favorite song uh (laughs) it was definitely enjoyable it was feeding into so much of the weirdness of the series right away it's like oh they're dead and they're shooting at this indestructible angel and they're doing uh an important operation uh which involves fans and blowing meal tickets away from the rest of the students uh who are being distracted by the uh demo uh (laughs) singing a song i'm like this is so weird I definitely enjoyed the songs. I'm not sure they will last with me. They are definitely well used in service of what's going on in the show. And I enjoy the kind of weird... It plays into the weird school-involved tactics that they're using to continue on in this place without getting obliterated and striking back at the system. And it it always involves very weird things that uh, Otanashi is busy uh, when he, when he gets them described to him he always pictures something crazy and then it ends up being something weird like we're going fishing so yeah which then turns weird anyway but <laughs> it is such a loopy presentation of the whole world that uh, that it's definitely enjoyable. Uh, Bama, how about you? What were your first impressions after the tone of the first episode just changes from, you know, every few minutes there's something new going on? Did that confuse you at all? Did it intrigue you? Um, confused more than intrigued, I think. The first note I wrote down was, I'm not sure Angel is the enemy here. Because she never, uh, she retaliates, but she doesn't start anything. And I, uh-huh. I noticed that, yeah, I noticed that as early as episode three. That That's me being a pacifist. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> she does stab the but, yeah. death in the beginning. Yeah, just, she didn't ever attack anyone. Unless they said something stupid like, prove I can't die. <laughs> and I mean, you know, well, how was she yeah, supposed to respond to that? That's what I would have done. I love that that gets a callback. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And I remember the, um, I didn't get fully intrigued until the, uh, the first character vanishes. Just poof, and she's gone. And I looked at Andy uh, and I said, did, did she just vanish? And, and fortunately, Andy had actually seen the, the show before and it, she was able to say, yes, yes, she did. Keep watching. And that was really when I got invested. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, the third episode is a really solid episode, in my opinion. Uh, I really enjoyed learning the backstory of this character and seeing her become the first one to disappear uh, and reincarnate and show that, yeah, it can be done and this does happen. You just have to, you know, find your peace. Uh, which I thought was really fun, which I thought was an interesting thing for them to introduce early on in the series. It gave, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It gave purpose, I suppose, is what I'm looking for, is in that, and it gave a plausible out for characters to exit the series later on, which we'll get back to. Right, because they're they're busy presented in the beginning as being immortal and existing within the system, but trying to dodge being obliterated, which is where the whole meal ticket system comes from. I think that's where more of the confusion comes from. It it feels like more of the rules were presented probably in the visual novel that I don't think came across too well in the anime. Mm-hmm. But uh you could pick it up over time, but uh, some of it just sort of melds into the overall weirdness. Uh, so, all right. Uh, the first three episodes, like I said, it's mostly set up. It's mostly, you know, getting everything established and getting the rules figured out on, you know, who everybody is, what role they're playing, Angel especially. Um, um but yeah, basically, that's what happens in the first three episodes. Episode four, I think, is when things started to get more on track and find its and find its footing. Uh, with the introduction of Yui right away taking over for the vocalist who disappeared in episode three. I think that's where the series started to find its footing I like that they remixed the opening theme song to allow for that to happen, even though I was listening to it dubbed. And yeah, Yui's Japanese singing voice sounds nothing like her English speaking <laughs> voice, which threw me off a little bit. Mm. Uh, the, may, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I'm kind of curious to hear everybody else's thoughts on this. There's a running joke that gets introduced in episode two, and it's used a couple of more times throughout the rest of the series of basically one guy coming to the aid of the other and be and immediately being asked, are you gay? And I'm kind of curious to know what everybody else's thoughts on this joke was, because I don't think it aged particularly well. It might have been you know, funny back in 2010, but now it feels like it just didn't age as well. Uh, CT, I want to hear from you first. What do you think about that? It is pretty cringy in the beginning, but so I was keeping an eye out on it throughout, and I think it only gets a bit with uh, Otanashi and Hinata a couple times in the beginning, and then a bit of that with uh, Naoi later, but then after that, I mean, they're totally just his boyfriends. 
by the end anyway, and no one is really <laughs> no one is really throwing that around at that point. And I was like, you know, it would be nice if they could do a a meaningful thing in the end. They don't you know, after the halfway point, they're not playing that off for a constant joke. So while it does obviously these days does not land well during the setup, it doesn't continue to get focus throughout. And admittedly, it doesn't get good payoff. You still have a meaningful scene with Naoi and uh, Otanashi during graduation and things like that. And they don't, they they do not at any time interrupt that to give you a callback to the joke, which I was thankful of. Uh, Bama, did you have any thoughts on that that you wanted to chime in? Or do you basically just kind of agree? Oh, I just got to where I was screaming, no, he's by at the screen every time the question came up. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy started joining me. So so, so then we're getting this little, no, he's by chorus and, and discussions of by erasure. And I'm, I, I'm going to be just as silly as the show is, dang it. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. So, alright, so speaking of Noi, uh, he gets introduced in episode 4 along with Yui. Um, There's the whole baseball theme going on. I enjoyed the fake out at the end on if this person was, this character was going to get reincarnated after catching, after catching the pop fly, but gets tackled by Yui instead. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I thought that was a fun little fake out, uh, I, and it was amusing to me. What I was trying to get at is that basically we establish in these middle episodes that Angel isn't the enemy and that Noi is taking over as the villain, uh, especially after episode five when they make Angel you know, fail all of her tests. Which, by the way, that episode was probably the funniest of the se- of the series, I think, especially with all the slow motion death jokes where they would play a few seconds of the ending theme in each class. Yes, uh, well, Yuri had to uh, do the proper, uh, uh, what is it, the proper distractions at a certain point and explode their chairs and they die on the ceiling and everyone is looking that way and then you can shuffle the paper around there. Also, I think we get the first look at Takamatsu's impeccably chiseled shiny chest. Oh, that. yes. So that is, I enjoyed that, is that glorious, very much. That is a glorious <laughs> new character to add to the show. <laughs> I, the one I thing very I noticed much. about... <laughs> The one thing I noticed about this series in particular is that whenever a male character is shirtless, they are ripped. They <laughs> there is very there is very few instances in this series where we see a shirtless guy who is not just built. And that's a little surprising to me. I feel like it was mostly uh Takamatsu, but that might just be because he- he has always had the uh, the the glistening, the the sparkle glisten to it. So maybe I just uh-huh. didn't notice 
the other uh, chiseled guide chests throughout. I guess maybe uh, uh, Matsushita gets that at the end after he skinnied himself off for the final conflict. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, speaking from a female perspective, I'm so used to seeing just in media in general, you see a lot of thin, beautiful women, you know, wandering around in bikini tops or whatever. And it was really, really nice to have something that I like to look at too. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have equal opportunity fan service. Man oh service yeah. In this case. So wow. Bama, you mentioned, you mentioned <laughs> earlier that you had figured out really early on in the series that Angel wasn't the enemy. And by episode five in the epilogue, uh, we see that, you know, Angel is basically, is true. Angel basically isn't the enemy and that Noi is basically taking over as the new villain. I'm kind of curious what you were thinking at this point. Did you feel vindicated in figuring that out or? Oh yeah. I was like, called it, called it, called it, called it, called it. And Andy's looking at me funny because, you know, you're not really supposed to be singing that song if you're an adult but no i i very very much in, enjoyed being able to figure that out and uh i i honestly kind of figured i might be wrong since <laughs> since it was my first impression <laughs> so i was very happy to have uh have won that particular one and, and i wondered even then if uh if Noah was going to, to wind up being a, a, as black as they paint. And I was not surprised when he kind of wasn't really. Uh-huh. But I like that. I, there's, you know, you're, if you're trying to show kind of a complex world with these shades of gray, that's, that's a good thing. You don't want black mm -hmm. and white ones. It's hard for me to remember what my initial impressions of such a thing were. Uh, I suspect that at the time, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Tenshi, our angel here, is introduced as a dangerous, powerful, just emotionless, you know, Terminator, effectively. And, uh, she does indeed, you know, kill Otanashi in the beginning, even if he does mention the thing. You only get to understand later on why that's more of a funny, appropriate response rather than an immediately hostile response. Uh, so she does always come across as the antagonist, but when it flips over and they defeat her because they've been introducing so much of this stuff in digital binary game programming terms, which again, it's a weird thing if they're all kind of in, if they're supposedly in some kind of purgatory, uh, the fact that they're playing off the video game theme seems to run at odds. I think it probably makes more sense when you're in the middle of playing it as a visual novel. Uh, <laughs> but it, you'd think that that's uh, 
you know, throwing things a little bit sideways and you're busy trying to say, well, is this actually everyone trapped in a game? But then then again, that's post Sword Art Online that everyone thinks that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> however, it does come across that simply it's the system or the rules of this world that made Angel an antagonist. And when they removed her from the you know, the student council president position and someone else went into it, that person, Yahweh, immediately, uh, sorry, now I immediately uh, uh, essentially seemed to become a a big deal and now the threat. And it's like, oh, it's the role rather than the person necessarily. And yeah, maybe they can be, maybe they can turn the angel into an ally or at least get along with her at this point. I don't think I necessarily treated it as was never an enemy to begin with. I think it came across more as in this is the system that they're playing in. I mean, they're referring to everyone as NPCs. So the moment someone else becomes student council president, they are the threat now and the other person is not. That's uh, I'm pretty sure that's how it would have come across at the time. Yeah, I mean, I am having a hard time remembering exactly how I reacted the first time I watched this series all the way through to completion. I remember I did not watch this series until Sentai Filmworks released it on DVD and they sent me a review copy and I reviewed it for my old website. And that was the first time that I you know, gave it a fair chance. Because I remember <laughs> I watched, like, the first episode when it first aired um, and wrote it off uh, for some reason or another. I'd have to look up why I wrote it off. Oh, uh, you said that in the beginning. It was too much hurry. There was... I know there was more than that to it. <laughs> the main thing that turned me off about it when it first aired was that the main character looked like Haruhi. But I remember I tried it, and I, there was something about it that drove me mad, and I just wrote it off. So it was... But I am tr having trouble remembering what exactly I felt the first time I watched this series. I remember, you know feeling a lot more strongly about it uh, so i think that was part of it but i can't even remember what year i watched it in originally so yeah now so we, we do we do get yuri's backstory in these episodes somewhere right uh, we had yeah. Yeah, I mean her for her story comes out way back in episode like two, I think. Two. I didn't think we had hers before Iwasawa's, did we? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe. I guess maybe we did, but because uh, we're we're about to start on Otanashi's uh, backstory as well. And uh, whenever you introduce memories with tiny little children, you know, <laughs> you know that it's going to uh, be be cheat mode, sticking a dagger in your guts. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
I have to admit, around episode 8, I have a note down that says that characters dying over and over again were starting to grate on me. And so, <laughs> by that point, I was feeling ready for the characters to move on. Uh, and by that point, I was... I wouldn't say I was white-knuckling it through it, because I still enjoy this series, but it was around that time that I noticed the pacing was a little slower than it really needed to be. Episodes felt like they were taking a little longer to get through. Uh, did anybody else notice that, or is that just a me thing? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah. Well, the, the one I... um. The one I enjoyed quite a bit more than I was expecting to was the fish episode. Oh, I yeah. mean, in the, in the middle of all of this weirdness, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about characters dying traumatically and, and, and having really horrible lives. And this is the afterlife and they're trying to find peace or maybe they're not trying to find peace. And in the middle of all this, let's go fishing. Yep. And, and, I that was the episode I think I laughed the hardest then. I don't think I had too much of a problem with the pacing because I felt like the show was still trying to keep you on keep you figuring out just what the heck it was going to be about. And what I mean by that is in episode 3 we get our first character who uh, self-obliterates and we hadn't even seen the angel take anyone out like that before uh, and it's like oh okay and then the next one is baseball and Hinata you get the fake out that Hinata is going to disappear even though we didn't get a backstory we got backstory for Iwasawa we didn't get any for Hinata at that point and um and then it's like, oh, okay, we. I thought we were going to lean into a, you know, like a person, uh, an episode finds their way out of here kind of thing. And you get some drama towards the end. And then it's like, nope, not that. And then in episode five, it's turning, you know, the angel away from being the primary antagonist. And then you're like, okay, so now we have to reinvent the structure of that sort of thing. So... I wasn't getting a feel in what the work wanted to be. And I do have an issue with that in the overall structure. But at this point, I don't have any set expectation of what I want to to feel like is happening and what motion is going, because I don't know what it's going to do by the end. Uh, there are certain things that keep trying to spin you around every few episodes. And in this one, it felt like it had a nice episode three major thing. And then it was going to set a new expectation. And it spent the next three just kind of going, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and, and bopping around, going different directions. And it's like, okay, uh, all right, whatever. See what's going on. And, uh, and seven, we get both the fish and uh, Otanashi's memories. So his sister starts coming in. And of course, inevitably, I'm trying to think if the angel is his sister. And that's why uh, he's pulled in here as well. 
uh, you know, there, there are certain things that seem like it's probably obvious, but uh, overall, Maeda doesn't write terribly straightforwardly, so you don't get uh, you, you don't get exactly what you think sh- probably is happening. But uh, it makes the next few episodes pretty weird because you're busy trying... They, they lean into the whole, like, this is a game sort of thing. You get the angel and she's helping, but then there's an evil clone and they have to go fight that. And you get a repeat of the uh, delving into the guild and everyone's dying one after another. <laughs> doing doing <laughs> judo plots on top of it. Oh, man. That that might be where I was laughing the most was when they were doing the sacrifice play thing again, but it was just the ridiculous, these stupidly dangerous angels there and someone just sort of jumps on top of her, gets stabbed to death, but it pins her down <laughs> and everyone walks around. And that's how they cheat each clone. So getting into the last few episodes episode nine is where we start getting uh otanashi's big backstory and what he was doing after his sister died and how he died uh that's pretty much besides yui in episode 10 that's pretty much the last you know like origin story that we got and i'm kind of curious to hear everybody's opinion and I know that this is hard to do because, you know, you can't really judge anybody. You can't really compare as very fairly. But I'm kind of curious, did anybody have a particular origin story in this series that hits you particularly hard? And Bama, I'm going to start with you. Did any characters have a story that, really stuck out to you or was it all just kind of okay this is all very tragic but um i really i kind of liked the uh the main character story i think Uh uh-huh the reason i say i think is (laughs) i couldn't quite figure out how he went from this apparent orphan with a sister who has cancer, but like no parents. I mean, you don't see any parents at all. And, and he's really struggling and he's having a hard time trying to figure out, you know, what he wants to do with his life. And after his sister passes, suddenly he owns a suit. I could not get over that. And I'm still having a hard time getting over that. Where did the suit come from? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. There so many questions I could be asking, but I got hung up on that, and, and I was absolutely I, I fine. I was buying it. everything until he shows up and he dies in this this suit and tie, and I'm like, "What? Wait, what?" He he did have some people who are caring. Uh, obviously, you know, this is an anime or or something japanese story i've either your parents are abusing you or they're dead that's what they're <laughs> yeah i mean you know you got the big guys the little nose the dead parents i mean everyone knows this <laughs> um 
he came to himself because he was busy self pitying the whole time where his sister was, you know, the only thing that he was doing and everything else was just him living through a part-time job. After she passed, you would normally think it's like, oh, here's the time where we're going to get an actual character suicide, which you're kind of expecting in a, in a lot of these is that uh, it's there. Even even though Yuri says in the beginning, you know, it, it couldn't be suicide, it's kind of like, well... You might be wrong here. This this does feel like the sort of if they're going to play up a, a purgatory, that is the kind of thing that gets played into the the biggest trauma to get over. Uh, it's spun differently here, but but in this case, Odanashi sees a girl his sister's age leaving the hospital, and his catharsis is just realizing that his purpose was you know being with her comforting her helping her as much as he could and then he devotes himself to good scholarship in hopes of becoming a doctor in hopes of helping more people one assumes in hopes of going into care to try to save people like his sister from from you know their their horrible fate as it were. So the reason he was in a suit was, if I recall correctly, he was going to a, uh, uh, not an entrance ceremony, but uh, an entrance, like a, a med a school. Test, uh, uh, yeah, that like a test to get into it. So yeah, he, he, was about he to looked go take forward a number of years. And so he was, uh, he was dressed finally because it was you know going to the right school making a good impression he'd been still working over it so he that was him having pulled himself together by that time at which point a chance train encounter uh kind of thumbed its nose at at his hopes and dreams I do have to admit, while we're on the topic of Otanashi's past story and origin story, the one moment from that episode, episode nine in particular, that I really, really liked and thought that was a really nice little moment was when he is on death's doornail and the very last thing he does is circle the organ donor card part of his id card and inspires everyone else to do the same i thought that was just a really fun good moment and it that was probably the moment that touched me the most especially in uh leading up to the final episodes all things considered and the final revelation as as part of it yeah i didn't want to start with snark but i was i was gonna say that this is you know the uh the most complex and uh, feelsy commercial for organ donation that, uh, <laughs> that you can come up with. The um, Yui's story also spoke to me, but that's that's because I've got some uh, in my personal life. I uh, my a uh, couple of jobs ago. I help people with developmental disabilities find and keep employment. And 
one of my clients was a born romantic and all she really wanted to do was find a husband and settle down and um i think that that's that's something that people don't really think about is people with you know particularly severe disabilities and they just want to fall in love man and there's nothing uh -huh. wrong with that and and that was yui's entire thing i mean she's running around like she's constantly hopped up on pixie sticks because you know <laughs> she's got mobility now uh, but she doesn't stick. really care about pitching a you know batting a home run or beating everybody and soccer all she really wanted to do was fall in love and i thought that was just really super sweet and poignant and reminded me of my clients so you know that one that one probably hit me the hardest honestly it it is a little harder because it comes out in the course of one episode uh and of course the majority of that episode is training her to hit a baseball in german suplex so uh <laughs> even after the revelation the main approach is pretty goofy uh i think of course the other thrust of it her her primary concerns were you know not just i can't do the things i want to do i can just live vicariously through the tv but uh was yes wants to live a normal life fall in love but also doesn't want to be a burden on the people to whom you know her mother in this case specifically but you know she's a hundred percent burden at that point so the uh pursuit of some kind of normalcy would uh would drive most people to to distraction i think as as far as one of the backstories that's just the most feelsy i mean i i think it's without question that yuri's is simply the most terrifying but uh I mean that, that that's simply the most complete cruelty you can mm -hmm. uh, feel for uh Iwasawa you can feel for uh, you know even Naoi who was you know basically uh, abused mentally by uh, by his father and other stuff and uh a lot but but, but that one was pure torture <laughs> Thankfully, in a weird way, it's so far over the edge that it's not going to hit you as hard. But good lord, like thieves breaking in <laughs> and murdering your younger siblings one by one is, is a bad time. <laughs> yeah, I, that was um, I, I almost couldn't believe that one. That It was really hard to um, suspend the disbelief just because it was so so over the top <laughs> but we never find out how she dies do we or am i just not remembered i don't recall actually i don't recall them actually talking about how she actually died she talks about her life but she doesn't talk about her death as far as i remember since since we're in the middle of everyone's backstories i guess i'll bring up that that i think is kind of my main complaint about the series 
is that a lot of characters who I want to know why they're there or give me some connection to them overcoming. I I don't think this series could have pulled off a two core, but it does feel like there were probably a lot of things that had to get dropped for the anime series that existed in the uh, visual novel because we don't get a whole lot of backstories. We don't... Uh, uh, we only know two of five of uh, Girls Dead Monster characters. You don't need everything. I didn't need the tragic backstory of the kid who wanted to be called the Christ the whole time. Sad, oh sadly never was. And, uh, you know, no. Noda is a joke character, though I could have used a little bit that made me, you know, feel why he was drawn so close to uh, to Yuri. But it does feel like in the process of doing a lot of things where we don't get nearly as as many people as we should, really. I mean, even uh, even Hinata's doesn't feel like it's the real story. Because everyone else has these tragic backstories that end with their death, and his was just failed everyone trying to get to the Koshia, in which, you know... You can be crestfallen about, but you're not. You're not on. You haven't stepped on the same scale as these other people yet. <laughs> no. So I do. I do feel a, a little bit like they needed a little more time or a little more attention for some of the other characters. I mean, you can let TK be just a hundred percent mysterious. That's perfectly fine. Nope, nope, I gotta protest that. I need more TK. I am so miffed I don't know what TK's story was. <laughs> I mean, I agree with LB, and if I, had, if I had the editing skills, I could probably take two episodes out of the story and fix the pacing problems. But, <laughs> dang it, I'd put another one in just to get TK's story. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So, getting past the origin stories and getting into the final third, the final, you know, quarter third of the series where they really ramp up, well, they attempt to ramp up the tension by introducing these shadow characters that turn them into NPCs. Um,. I'm kind of curious, did anybody else actually feel the tension rise as they were watching these final episodes? Because for me, I was, like I said, ready for characters to start disappearing, even though a couple of them were a little easy, like the band members from Girls Dead Monster just saying, okay, we're ready, and then next thing you know, they're gone. You know, so that was a little annoying but other than that i mean the tension they tried to raise it and they tried to explain this world through you know the mysterious circumstances in episode 12 um but i'm kind of curious uh bama let's start with you did you actually feel like the tension rising at this point or were you just kind of there for this um I was actually closer to what you described. I saw the tension felt like I, it felt like I was supposed to be feeling more tense about the whole thing, but instead it, 
I was like, okay, so the first antagonist was supposed to be Angel, even though I never really suspected she was an antagonist. And then we had this other guy with this giant hat that was supposed to be the bad guy. And now he's a good guy. So they're having to come up with something, and it's these crazy shadows. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, you kind of got to... I I did kind of enjoy them heading back down into the the depths and meeting the I don't know what his name was but he was clearly the architect from the Matrix Part Two. <laughs> I I mean they they just they took the architect out of the Matrix and said we shall animate him and thus they did and just like the architect they meet. You know, the architect meets the main character and then never is never seen again. There we go. I did enjoy I did enjoy that guy's introduction. Uh, I find it I always <clears throat> excuse me. I always find it interesting going back to things where one of my favorite voice actors was in something, but I watched it prior to knowing instantly that person's uh, voice anywhere. So uh, his voice actor is uh, Akira Ishida, who is Kikuhiko from uh, uh, the Rakugo anime. And that was what locked his voice in into uh, into me specifically, just like uh, Iwasawa was Miyuki Sawashiro, who was one of my favorites. So it always intrigues me going back to something and being like, oh my god, that was him! Uh, <laughs> because it was prior to knowing that uh, that it was uh, him, like uh, he was in Chrono Crusade as well. But uh, uh, yeah, I certainly did not feel any tension or danger from it. They, they introduce it a concept and you might think okay here's the ticking clock of this world coming to an end and people either have to come to terms with uh, themselves and uh, self-obliterate or they'll get consumed by it but I think one of the things that I had kind of forgotten about because what largely leaves the, the greatest effect on you is the end effect of it so I think of Angel Beats more as a, you know, in the the ways in which it, it is able to push and pull the heartstrings around and and be kind of feelsy until re-experiencing it. I'd forgotten how much of a goofy-ass comedy it is. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there is, there is too much goofy comedy to it for me to have thought that they were going to do anything that was a serious danger at the end. I could see them still trying to do what they just did in, you know, the episode prior with, with Yui and before that with uh, Otanashi and the train and other stuff. That I could still see happening. I couldn't really take a a danger that would... At this point, there's not much of the series left, so we have to assume that it's just people getting blown into nothingness at that point. And I'm like, they're not going to do that to these characters. 
especially because we didn't learn anything about most of these folks. So uh, I, I was not seeing that being a possibility and something that they were going to introduce right at the end. Maybe possibly for one of them to be a big dramatic point that they would get over at the end, but uh, but not as the way that they would start getting taken out of the show. I don't know about you. Uh, I mean, the first time I watched the series all the way through, I remember I felt the feels in the final episodes. I definitely was hit a little harder by it but this time around and knowing the main story beats of what was going on i didn't feel nearly as strongly about the ending as i did originally um i know that i shed a few tears when i first watched this all the way through this time around i was just kind of idly getting through the last couple of episodes and just kind of dealing with other stuff while I was playing. Uh, I just didn't click with me as much this time, but I'm kind of curious, Bama, the final episode, episode 13 with the whole graduation scene, was that satisfying for you? Was it a good way to close out the series or do you kind of wish they had gone a different direction? I liked the um, the graduation aspect of it. I thought that was interesting. And the fact it, 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 when they made that one guy dress up as the principal, that just <laughs> cracked me up so hard. Um, he not have made a good principal. I, I wasn't crazy about Angel having gotten um, what's-his-numbers heart. I mean, my, my knee-jerk reaction, and I just yell at the screen. I was like, what the? No, she was there before he died. How could she have gotten his heart? And, and Andy says, well, do you expect time to work the exact same over there? And I'm going, dude, there's got to be something. Because this makes, like, zero sense. Um, And then, of course, when he... When she vanishes anyway and he's just screaming for her and i'm like that got so dark out of nowhere super super fast and i was mollified at the very end when they had apparently reincarnated and now they could be together <laughs> but well, that yeah I, I thought that was a little it was a little hard for me to swallow and Dang, it just, it, 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 it was so intense. All of a sudden, really kind of out of nowhere, nearly. I mean, I could tell that he, he was falling in love with her, but, well, it, no, I'm not even going to say that, because he wasn't any, he wasn't much friendlier to her than he was to literally anybody else. So, yeah, it, it just, it, I don't know, it, it felt a little contrived for me. It does feel like, again, we're, we may be missing a number of scenes that uh, were present in the, in the visual novel. And that, of course, was at, at the time, my original one, I think that was the driving reason that I assumed what she represented was she was his sister waiting for him. That 
made a lot more sense. He lived longer and she was there to help him pass on. But then, you know, they stayed out front that he'd already come to terms and he was a bug and shouldn't have been in there to begin with. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I expected. Uh, yeah, it it doesn't matter a whole lot considering this is some weird supernatural quasi realm to think that uh, time doesn't really play all that uh, uh, straightforwardly here and you could get a little coda with it. But uh, definitely it's a, it's a little odd. It, it does feel like it's trying to get stuffed right there at the, at the very end. You think maybe they'll both continue on to help others or only he will because he'll have let uh, the other one pass on or her, she was there to let him pass. You could have played off any of those, but I, I wasn't too invested in, oh yes, they were really, they were drawn to each other, but that, to me, that's where the whole sibling thing came from. He was so instantly drawn to her and trusting of her and protective of her that it felt like a sibling bond rather than a yeah. uh, another thing going on. Uh, that that does lead into one thing that uh, I don't know if if any of you watched the ED every time. I did, or, yeah. Or at the least ED? watched it enough. The, uh, ending, the ending theme. theme. Oh, yeah. I think so, anyway. I might... No, I take it back. Um, I, we were a little scared we weren't going to be able to finish it by now, so <laughs> we did skip some of the endings. There there were interesting bits of storytelling that you could get from it, because it, it widens out into a big cast shot with everyone, but in each episode they're being moved around a little bit. So it's episode two is the first one that has the official ED. Uh, in episode three, Iwasawa is gone, uh, but uh, Takayama joined into it. And then once Yui joins, she and Hinata are in this, uh, you know, crazy uh, pose. And Otanashi and Hinata are no longer doing a, a bro forearm slam. I don't really get that pose. That was, that's so weird. I'm like high fiving. That that I understand. Forearm smacking. I'm not. I'm not sure it's a thing. But uh, you get that. Uh, you get Takamatsu with his shiny chest in there. When people start disappearing, <laughs> they start disappearing. Uh, the but it plays into the end, and I thought it would it might have ended there. Uh, in it because you're it's playing backwards and people are disappearing from all of the sides, and it gets back and the last five people or the last four people are the ones who were in that uh, uh, graduation. No, five including. Uh, 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 Kanade, who was finally allowed in one. So uh, they disappear in order, and Kanade disappears, and then you wonder, like, is Otanashi going to stay there? And he does disappear in the end, and you just get the blank canvas of the background at last, and that could have been exactly where it ends, because that bit of storytelling at least told you that he was able to come to terms to it and left uh, himself. But yeah, you get the uh, you get the end splash, the the even more afterward, which uh, which makes you think, okay, oh, they get to meet each other 
out in the world. But uh, but as as stated by both of us so far, it didn't really feel strong enough to to be compelled by oh goody they get to have a, an actual relationship out in the uh, out in the world. I don't know where you where you fall on uh, not not the tear jerkiness, but the character relations, and especially uh, Otanashi and uh, Kanade at the end. I wouldn't say that I felt a sibling bond between them. I do think that it was a romantic bond. I think that it wasn't a very strong one, but I do think that it was a romantic bond between them. Um, I've said this before in articles, and no one has ever, you know, sent a lynch mob after me, so I think that some people agree. Uh, June Maida is great with writing stories. He comes up with really fascinating, interesting stories. He doesn't know how to write endings, though. <laughs> That's the big problem with all of his series, is that... He writes really interesting worlds and he creates fascinating characters to start off with, but by the end, he never has any idea what to do. Mm. I'd have to pour through a few more for that. I I did not get any sense of the usual ending fell off a cliff. Uh, so it... it it may not be exactly what I wanted or what w could have been most interesting, and maybe he's playing up a thing that doesn't land well. But, you know, it's, it's not like I was crestfallen at the ending in general, and it didn't seem like he had no idea what he was doing for it. So Yeah, I mean, let me rephrase that. Angel Beats <laughs> is... Def is not a series where the ending falls off a cliff and not like, you know, unlike, you know, series like Charlotte or The Day I Became a God, uh, <laughs> which do have endings that fall off a cliff. Um, but Angel Beats is a series where I did. I think the ending could have been handled a little bit better. Um, I think that's the main point that I'm getting at in that. This is a good. Sh this is a generally good series. I enjoy watching it. It's not something that I go back and revisit on a regular basis, but I did enjoy it. Uh, I just think that the ending could have been handled a little bit better. I'm not sure what I would have changed, um, but I do think that I agree with Bama that the intensity and darkness of the last few moments was a bit sudden. So I think that that's kind of the where I'm getting at with this one. Yeah, that that I can see because he's supposed to be the one who was at peace with things in general and was bringing it to everyone else. And even though obviously he cared for Tachibana at the end, it didn't seem like it's the kind of thing where you know you're both going through your you're being at peace or you're helping her come to terms with it uh, rather than this fearful desperation because it's like you were, you were just doing the opposite for everyone else and I can see a little bit of you know 
I don't want to die. Uh, clinginess to it at the end because you found someone that you could be with, but in the in the end, the whole point was, you know, coming to terms with your life and the what youth you did experience, however cut off it was, and going beyond it, because they all seemed to at least believe that there was a beyond to go to, whether they would remember anything about uh, about the before. It, it, it seemed to be acceptance of, uh, of the end, and you, and you don't get a feeling as to why he suddenly turned on a dime there. So, alright, did anybody have any final thoughts or anything that they wanted to bring up before we wrap things up? Uh, I don't know. I I think to to lean on one of the things, because we uh, implied a few things where you had uh, Tachibana at the end, the revelation of her not being an antagonist was one thing, but she was still kind of an emotionless weirdo. And then <laughs> just the joke of it being that she was so far from understanding how to do what her job was, which was to help people come to terms. <laughs> that she was so off the fact that he made a comment and so she stabbed him to death. And it was like, from her perspective, that was the thing to do. But from anyone else's perspective, it would get interpreted entirely. She was as much of an idiot as everyone else was. And uh, there's an element of enjoying that everyone is is re real damn stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, I enjoyed, especially during the... Uh, uh, see, th this is the weird thing. And I, I enjoyed a lot during the uh, graduation, the end episode, that she was uh, being smiling and emotional and much more. Both Yuri and she were like, you know, normal girls in general, normal characters at least. Uh, and she was busy doing all of the, uh, the help for it. That was another reason when I first watched it that I'm like, okay, she's just going to reveal herself as his sister, because he was literally the first time that we see him talking to her. It's about how school is meaningless for an idiot like him, and he doesn't care about it, and she's just wishing and hoping to go to school and make experiences. And I'm like, that's, that's literally... You're literally calling back to exactly what you did before. What do you mean <laughs> she's not his sister? Because you don't have to do a time dilation thing at the end either. To be like, I had your heart. And you don't have to consider that his noble sacrifice only gave her a couple of years. And then she <laughs> died too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, man. But uh, it was definitely, definitely fun uh, getting that bit of her out before the end. And uh, led to some smiles moments. So. Now, one thing I thought you would mention, but maybe you weren't uh, uh, doing a whole lot. So this is more of a, a question specifically for you, LB. Uh, the director of Angel Beats, do you... Angel Beats was, I think, the first series of note 
that he did, but do you recall who the director is? I believe it was Seiji Kishi. Yes, it is. And I believe that would be the director of Ass Class. That that indeed it would be. Yes, so, I uh, did I did recall that, yes. <laughs> okay. So uh yes, that being your your favorite series and this being uh, another one. How what I suppose did you get any like flavors of doing things just the fact that it was a bunch of school kids shooting firearms the whole time I'm like yeah well they picked I suppose the right guy when assassination classroom came around (laughs) later on like this is pretty fitting for what uh for the for the biggest series that he did up to that point but uh did it were there any anything in particular that you felt you know kind of shines through as a stylistic thing or something notable that was carried in that was enjoyable thereof or it it it's just more of a you know knowing it's the same guy but uh there's a difference between you know the decades uh or a decade away from one show to the other and uh first first real runs at it versus uh a mature hand at it uh i wouldn't say that there was anything from this series that made me think about ass class and things that he took with him to that future series i'd say if anything i think you hit it on the head with the school kids using large firearms uh, I think that's probably what he took with him from this series. Uh, the thing is with Seiji Kishi is that he doesn't really have a distinct style that I've been able to tell. I mean, if, for example, my favorite director, Akiyuki Simbo, uh, he has a style. He, he, when you watch a series done by Simbo, you know that he was he had his hands in it because of the way that this the way that it looks the way that it feels you know that with kishi on the other hand he doesn't have that distinct style he doesn't have that distinct thing that stands out as his gotcha Now, I know uh, Kishi also did Persona 4 as his next series, and I figured they tapped him just because Naoi looks so much like Naoto that uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, well, well obviously we got to get... Uh, he knows how to direct a character that looks very much like this. No? Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe that's overthinking it. Uh, Bama, how about you? Did you have any final thoughts, final comments, final things you wanted to bring up before we wrap things up? I'm trying to think of something, but I'm really kind of coming up a blank. (laughs) No, that's totally fine. Not a requirement. So, uh, on that point, let's go ahead, let's wrap things up. Thank you very much to CT and Bama for joining me for another fun discussion. It was a good time. Thanks for having me. Uh, we haven't decided what the next series that we're going to watch is yet. We, CT and I have been in active discussions and debates about that, but we will announce it on Twitter as soon as we know. Uh, and thank you all 
to all of you for listening to us listen listening to us ramble for the last hour wow am i gonna have to do a lot of editing on this episode (laughs) Uh, and we hope that you'll tune in again next month have a great night everybody good night folks good night